Good morning. <clears throat> it's good to be here with you and looking at God's Word. And uh, as I mentioned in the beginning of the service, and hopefully you've noticed as we've gone along, the, this is the first Sunday of Advent. I know that some of us are, are more familiar, more tr- used to the to church year than others, uh, but Advent is the season leading up to Christmas. It is four Sundays, and these four Sundays lead us and prepare us to the celebration of Christmas. And the word Advent means coming or arriving. And it remembers Jesus coming in Bethlehem, and it also remembers the promise that he will come again. It's a chance for us to reflect on Jesus' birth and significance of God taking on flesh, but it's also been a time in the church's life to remember Jesus' promise that he'll be with us till the end and that he will come again to make all things right. And today and over and next Sunday, we're going to look at traditional Advent passages that put emphasis on this idea and this promise that Jesus will come again. Jesus, the risen one, the one who ascended into heaven, will come again to make all things right and to bring God's justice. Advent is a time in which we remember that we live between the two comings of Jesus. Jesus came and was born in Bethlehem, and he'll come again, and we live in between those times as stewards of his grace, resting in what he's given to us. And as Advent arrives, it finds us at different places in life, different circumstances, different conditions. And what I want us to think about as we prepare to hear God's word is wherever we find ourselves in this moment, the consideration of Jesus coming again whether that brings joy or hope or whether it makes us feel skeptical or even uncomfortable, this idea. And wherever we find ourselves, this idea of Jesus coming again, this promise, invites us into a few questions. The question, is there power, is there another power at work besides our sin, our mortality, and the selfish and corrupt powers of the world? It also asks, is there a promise that endures? A promise worth ordering your life around? I want us to have those questions in mind. Is there a power beyond my own sin or beyond my mortality, beyond the corruption of the world? And is there something worth holding on to? Those questions I have in mind as we hear God's word and consider what Jesus is saying here in Matthew 24. You can look at your order, looking at Matthew 24, verse 36 through 44. To follow along there. This is Jesus speaking. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one left. Therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake, and he would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. This is God's word given for our good. Let's pray. 
Lord, we come to you and we pray for humble and open hearts that we would hear your word and receive it, and that by your spirit you would use it to lift up our heads, that we may find our rest and hope and presence in you, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, the context of our passage, Matthew 24 through 25, is a prophecy of the fall of Jerusalem to the Romans. And Jesus uses that discussion about Jerusalem, that that terrible event, as a chance to talk about what Scripture calls the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord. And in the sermon, I want us to kind of have asked three questions around this. What is the day of the Lord? When is it coming? And how do we respond? So we can start by what is that day? What is that hour that Jesus speaks of? When he references that day and hour in the opening of our passage, he's referring to the day of the Lord, which is a day in which God promises to come and to act to make all things different, make them new, to address and judge evil and restore his people and restore the world fully in a way that's beyond what we can ask or imagine. And it's helpful to make a couple observations about the day of the Lord or about what's happening in our passage First, starting off that when the day of the Lord is spoken about in these apocalyptic passages, the, the center is always on the action of God. The action of God. The hoped-for day of the Lord puts the emphasis on the agency of God, not on the works of you or me. The spotlight, the hope, is not on any human endeavor. One way to think about this is all the Advent preparations in the world would not be enough unless God were favorable towards us, unless God is coming. Another thing to observe is as Jesus talks about this day and this hour, he says, For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. God's action, God at the center, God's action on that day is described as the coming of the Son of Man. One day when God remakes the entire world, Jesus himself will appear again. The coming one is a title given to Jesus by John the Baptist. And the title evokes the prophet Daniel, who said, The coming one will be seen with the clouds of heaven and will be introduced into the presence of the Ancient of Days. I always love that name for God, the Ancient of Days. But this coming one, this one described as the Son of Man, will receive from the Ancient of Days dominion and glory in the kingdom. And all peoples and all nations and all languages will worship and honor the Son of Man. The coming one. The title given to Jesus. The first description of Jesus as the one who is coming, the one who is arriving, is at his birth in Bethlehem. His entry into the world. God come in flesh to dwell among us. Jesus has come because God sent him. He has come as the light. He has come to save sinners. Jesus, when asked why he came, he said, I came to fulfill the law. I came to call sinners to repentance. I came to give my life as a ransom for many. As we read in Matthew, this great discourse, Jesus speaks of himself as the coming one, but here he speaks of him coming in a second time, the coming of the Son of Man to usher in the day of the Lord. To repeat myself, Advent and Christmas are not merely a remembering of Jesus' birth in Bethlehem, At this point, on this side of Christmas, thousands of years later, we know who this child in the manger is. The risen one who sits at the right hand of God. 
He is the one who will come again to judge the living and the dead, the Apostles' Creed says. It's Jesus, the Lord over all, who is coming. And these observations about the day of the Lord, what it is, and that it will be the Son of Man who brings it, they come together to say that what our passage invites us to consider is that God will confront the world. God will confront the world through His Son. Jesus will come in power, power to free us, power to interrupt the way things are, power to judge, power to discern. And at the heart of that power is the resurrection from the dead. The term eschatology, I can barely say it myself, eschatology, maybe some of you are familiar with it, it's the study, a theology study of death and judgment, the final destiny of humankind. Seems like an important class, you know, an important section of theology, right? But New Testament eschatology begins with the resurrection. Easter is not simply a revival of a dead Jesus. Rather, Easter and Jesus rising from the dead is the radical defeat of the powers that claim you and me. Jesus has broken the powers that control and seek to hold us. Therefore, if that's true, if God is acting in power, a power that we saw first in the resurrection of Jesus, that when Jesus does come as the Son of Man on the clouds, it will be the graves that suffer the deepest robbery. It will be the law that will be deprived of its claim upon us. And the ones who have built bigger barns for all their stuff will wonder why. And it will be the evil one who is left empty-handed. That's the promise of what Jesus says he will do. Recently, I saw a New Yorker cartoon, a cartoon in which there is a city street and there is a woman walking on the sidewalk holding up a big sign on a stick. And as she is walking with a sign above her head, she's surrounded by four small children, all of them crying, all of them yelling, one in a backpack behind, on her back, holding up a sippy cup, yelling for more, one walking in front of her with arms folded, tired of walking, and two behind her fighting over a hat, who gets to wear it. And the sign the woman holds says, the end of my patience is near. <laughs> oh, yeah. The end of my patience is near. Now, I mentioned that, that makes me laugh, and it makes me think about, you know, how do we respond to this promise that Jesus will come again? He'll bring an end, he'll bring a judgment. Some of us, again, might feel uncomfortable or feel skeptical, feel uncertain to do with such strong language and strong images. And we have to acknowledge that there is a strangeness in our text, a strangeness especially to modern ears. And even if we find ourselves uncertain or cautious, especially because of how maybe such passages have been used Advent, again, is a chance for you and I to wrestle with the questions, is there more than what we see at work? Is there another power besides the sin that twists inside of you? Is there another power besides the mortality that waits for us but has taken those that we love? Is there another power besides the injustice and wrongness of the world in which we live? 
And I suggest to you that it's such passages, if we took them away, if we took away the strangeness of Jesus coming, the answer would be no. No. You'll be left with what you have within you. You'll be left with what we see. We live in a fallen world and we need to proclaim the gospel message that there will be a day in which things are set right. A day in which evil is judged and cast out. That the future and in, in justice, our hope for justice, not, does not ultimately rest in human powers, but in the hands of God. Think for a moment back in the day in which Jesus was talking about the people in Jerusalem who were painfully aware of the Roman powers that were present in their city painfully aware where this was headed, that their city would one day fall. And Jesus is reminding them as he's reminding us that those who seem so strong, those who sit in the places of power, do not have the final say in your life or in this world. And we should say thank you and amen. Here is the Christian conviction. Jesus, the one born in Bethlehem, the risen one, will come to overturn prevailing human order and establish God's rule in God's world. That is what the day of the Lord is that Jesus is speaking of and promises. So second, we can ask, when will this arrive? When will this be? If we know what it is, when will it come? And you might notice right away, Jesus speaks of that right from the beginning of our passage. We can notice three observations, three things to point out. First, nobody knows when this day will be. Jesus says no one knows the day nor the hour, not even him, not even the Son, And so we can say to ourselves, if even the Son did not know the time, how is it that so many prophecy teachers have claimed to know when the end of the world will be? Second, we can see that life will go on as normal right up to the last minute. Eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage. This is the point made when Jesus references Noah. Until the rains and the great flood came, ordinary life was carrying on eating, drinking, starting a family. Third, this day will divide families and divide work colleagues. One will be taken and one left, meaning some will pass through the event and others will suffer the arrivement of justice. It will judge and it will divide. In these scenes, Noah and the workers in the field and the workers at the mill stress the unknown nature of when Jesus will arrive. The unknown or the surprise of Jesus coming leads to him to call his disciples to stay awake, to be aware, to watch. And he adds what we could say a mini story or kind of a scene that has two parts to draw out this implication of being watchful and being prepared. For he says his coming is certain but yet unknown when it will be. And that mini-story first is a thief breaking into the house during the night. And the second thing is he talks about a servant or a steward who is over the household in the absence of an owner. The image of the thief coming in the night is present multiple times in the New Testament. And we need to clarify the metaphor. It does not mean that God is stealing that which does not belong to him. Rather, Christ's arrival cannot be predicted cannot be resisted, cannot be preempted, and it cannot be prevented. We do not know when he will knock or come into the door. Jesus is saying to his followers that 
We need to be people who are prepared, who are watching, not be surprised. Do not be like the house owner who relaxes the security of his house because he doesn't know when the thief might come. Instead, be like the householder who prepares, who waits, who watches, who is ready. As I was looking at this passage, I read an author who described the experience of it at one point in his work. He had a chance to stay in this historic home with his family, and it was nice, but part of that, there, there were tours that would come through the house occasionally, see the grounds and see this historic house. And then he describes the scene that one day his family is busy doing this and that, not much going on, and all of a sudden there was a knock at the door that they had completely forgotten that a tour was coming that afternoon. They looked around the house and it was a mess, things everywhere. He went to the door and sent them to the gardens to walk around the gardens for a while while the rest of the family scurried about trying to clean up the house. Maybe you can relate to that. Maybe not tourists coming through your house, maybe. But maybe you can relate to someone coming and knocking at your door you forgot or surprised and you look around and you're not ready for them to be there. Jesus invites us to think about that scene is that you can tidy up a house, you can throw things in the closet in a few minutes, but you can't reverse the direction of your whole life in a moment. By the time the doorbell rings, it's too late. That's what Jesus wants us to feel. So as we begin Advent, Jesus is asking, are you ready? What's the state of your heart, your home? Are you awake? Advent is this call of of Jesus coming, saying to us, right now is the hour of salvation. Today is the day. Start now. Or if you're awake, stay awake. Wherever you find yourself, wherever you find your life, your heart, Jesus calls us to believe in his name to begin now, to order ourselves upon him, to put our faith in Him. You see, not knowing when it comes leads to this third in part, how do we respond? Jesus says, stay awake, or to wake up, to look and see where you are, to set aside the works of darkness, the works of shame, to stop forgetting who we are. But as we ask, how do we respond, as we ask this, we need to be careful of the, about a few things. The source of our assurance and hope is not in your goodness. You need to be careful. It's possible that the primary message that we or others have heard from the church or such passage is judgment. It's also possible that the divine disapproval is the primary way we think of God. And I want us to be clear this morning as we hear Jesus call us to wake up The answer is not that we make ourselves acceptable to God. That is not the hope and promise of Advent. The coming of Jesus is not about removing the assurance of his grace. No, it's about the assurance that our sin and injustice and death will not be the final words in our life, that there is hope in the midst of such things. We need to remember again, as Jesus says he's coming, that none of us deserve God's favor. There is no distinction, the Bible says, meaning that all people, all of us, are guilty before God's justice. The good news of the risen Jesus is the proclamation that Christ died for the ungodly. 
Christ died for the ungodly. The gospel is the great equalizer, if we could say it that way. We all of us, in some degree or another, are guilty before God's law, infected by the powers that set us against God. But the promise of the gospel is that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. If we have faith in Christ, if we trust Him, He bears our condemnation and we receive His victory and righteousness. I'm saying all these things to remind us and bring us to the conclusion the answer of God's judgment, the answer to God's judgment is not your goodness or my goodness, but it is trust in His grace. It is the same today and throughout Advent. Staying awake means first and foremost remembering and trusting the gospel, God's work, God's agency for you. Without the gospel, you and I are under judgment. We are left on our own accord, our own record, our own ability to fight the powers of this world. Our place before God rests in His grace for us. And it's once we've experienced that grace, once we again remember that this is who we are, that we stay awake in God's work for us, then we can look around our house and start saying, what would it look like for it to be different? What would it look like for God to begin to reorder things? What would it look like for me to pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven? God, your will be done in my life or in my family or in my work as it does in heaven. We can only begin to reorder things, start anew, when we remember who we are, those who are dependent upon God's action in Christ for us. At times in our lives, maybe in our city, in our world, if you're like me, one of the hardest things to imagine is that anything can be different. Have you ever had that experience? It's hard to imagine that things could be different. Maybe you feel despondent or despair over the brokenness within yourself. Addictions or struggles or broken relationships. Or you look around and you see how things function in our neighborhood or our city. How do we imagine the unimaginable? How do we imagine that things could be different? Our Old Testament lesson that we heard was an invitation to begin to dream of such things. Isaiah says, can we imagine the kingdom of God arriving? Swords beaten into plowshares. Spears changed into prune shears. The meek shall inherit the earth. But even as we hear such a vision, even if we're drawn to such a hope. It's tempting to look around wherever we are and to do what everyone else is doing. Even if they are sharpening their swords, it, right? It's tough out there. Maybe we need to sharpen our swords as well. Is there any other power at work? And Jesus is proclaiming a promise that the one who has come will come again. And as we live now in between those two comings, we belong to him by faith. We hear the voice of the one who is coming. He tells us to stay awake, to prepare, to be watchful, to not give in to the powers or the ways of the world, but to turn to Him and to have hope that together with one another, that when we confess our sin, when we ask for help, there is the possibility that things could be different. Our waiting is a holy waiting. It's not passive, but it's active. Where we 
preach the gospel to ourselves and remember who we are in Christ. And out of that, ask God to remake us and to remake us more into his image. Stay awake. Hold on to this hope in a world that wants us to go to sleep, that will claim us in so many different ways, telling us who we are. Stay awake. For this hope does not rest upon you or upon your power, but it rests on the one who died for you on the cross and will come again to claim you as his own. Jesus is calling us to this hope that we may hold on to it. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for who you are, Lord. We thank you for the good word that speaks to us hope in the midst of our own sin, in the midst of loss, in the midst of injustice. Give us hope, we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.